The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome to the pilot episode for Average Fest, the latest in a long line of pilot episodes on pilot season here at Cancelled Too Soon. Uh, too much energy. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, welcome to Average Fest. Yeah, it's an average energy, average energy. Yeah. Hey, you. Hey. You like all I okay know, movies? All I know is my heart says maybe. Uh <laughs> My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. <laughs> My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm the other guy. Uh, and yeah, this is uh, maybe one of the worst epi- uh, ideas that we've had for a while. Hopefully not this, the worst episode we've ever not had. Not episode. <laughs> worst ideas we've ever had. Uh, this was an idea I had uh, way back in the nerdist days when I was contributing to them kind of regularly mm-hmm. and getting all kinds of hate mail. Um, How dare you say bad things about Pompeii? <laughs> I know. For goodness sake. Uh Really, Pompeo is one of those. It's yeah, like, I was, I was mad really, at you I was for really, not liking Pompeo. Well, I, I was just really negative. How dare you be so negative? Well, I hate the movie. I'm allowed to be negative if I hate the movie. Just being honest about his opinion. But yeah, I, I pitched this idea to Nerdist as a podcast or maybe a series of articles, and uh, you you uh, had the idea to actually have this as a actual festival, like a yeah. film festival at a local theater. At like some like point. if we ever had clout. <laughs> We would do our own film festival, and it would just be for mediocrities. <laughs> Two and a half stars, uh, five out of ten. You watched it, you didn't dislike it, but six months later, you confused it for mm. another movie, the most average movie ever. Because mm. here's the thing. A lot of movie podcasts are out there, and most of them are about movies that are really good, uh-huh. or at least people really like, or are really bad. Mm. And we wanted to try to do... The middle. But really? Like, what? What's really average? What's no. the most mediocre movie ever made? Like, what's like the one that's like straight down the middle, baseline competence, mm. doesn't suck, but isn't particularly good either. When we say it's better than average or worse than average, what's the movie we're what's talking the average? about? I, and I think, yeah, when, when we talk about how good a movie is or how bad a movie is, we are having, we have this sort of baseline reading of what a film just should be on its like most competent level in our minds when we mm-hmm. make that statement but there's no film that people cite when it comes to that mm-hmm. there's no group of films that people cite even though we see hundreds of those every year mm-hmm. and we forget about them What's interesting and i think is- when we look at that line that one right in the middle that you know we're kind of talking about when we talk about good films and bad films that's where the soul of hollywood really exists <laughs> that that's that's the heart of it all. It's right in the middle. Well, of like, it. and a lot of movies have average elements. Mm. You know, like the perform, like the movies, like the script's okay, visual effects are good, performances, meh. Mm. or like, oh, it's actually really, really good. S- soundtrack didn't make an impression on me. That kind of thing. But like, is there a film that itself is mediocrity? We can all agree <laughs> on it. I was in a, uh, uh, I was at the, uh, I think it was at the movie trivia Schmodown free for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at the movie trivia show down free for all, and I was asking people, 
what's the most average film you can think of? Just middle of the road. Mm. It's fine. Right. I got a lot of weird answers. <laughs> Sometimes there are movies where I was just like, really? I kind of like that one. Or oh. I think the movie's reputation is okay. And then like Grey Drake uh, uh, from Rotten Tomatoes, she's wonderful. Mm. Uh, she put forth a movie we seriously thought about doing for this pilot episode uh, for American Assassin. It came out last year. <laughs> it just hits all the Tom Clancy beats. Doesn't do them bad, but adds nothing. Uh-huh. It's just one of them. <laughs> And, that was and a, that's the idea. Just one of them. Yeah. So for pilot season here at Cancel Too Soon, where all of our regular episodes of the show are pilot episodes that failed, mm-hmm. uh, we're also doing a whole bunch of pilot episodes for bonus podcasts, and all of our Patreon subscribers will get to vote on which bonus podcast we take the series mm-hmm. and make it exclusive on Patreon. Yeah. These episodes are exclusive on Patreon for a couple of days, then we release them to the general public, but eventually the series that gets picked up, Patreon exclusive. Mm-hmm. So we already did uh, our, our first episode, uh, which was uh, Cancel Too Soon the Home Game, when we talked about Trump Card. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing Average Fest, <laughs> the search for the most mediocre movie ever made. And for our pilot episode, we couldn't think of a film more average than Mickey Blue Eyes. Michael Felgate was an Englishman in New York. Just run normally. I am running normally. I guess I haven't seen you run before, and I thought you were doing a funny run. Funny run? That's my run. He met a woman he loved mm. and bought a ring to prove it. Who cares how much money what you pay? But Michael's pursuit of happiness is about to take a detour. I can't marry you because of my father. Dead. Dad. <laughs> I don't want to marry your father. You I will, Michael. Him and his friends. Uh, so you meet everyone? Vernie, Carmine. And this is Uncle Vito. Uh, Rent Goodfellas Casino Godfather 123. It's a little favor, a tiny lie, and you're theirs. Mr. Graziosi has sent over one of his son's paintings for me to auction. This unusual painting is entitled Die Piggy Piggy Die Die. Ah! Mickey Blue Eyes. Mickey is in a Mickey is in a rut. Ah. So Mickey Blue Eyes came out in 1999. We which need context for 1999? Now 1999 was, uh, I think it's. Many critics agree it was one of the best films for American cinema. Or uh, best best years. Year, excuse me, best years for American of cinema. World cinema, uh, even. Like, you think about all the movies that came out in 1999 that are mm-hmm. well remembered, beloved, influential, important. Let's run down a short list, shall <laughs> we? Uh, uh, um, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's last movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, American Beauty won Best Picture that year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still, still hailed by some as a very good film, although it ages poorly. Office Space, considered mm-hmm. one of the great comedies of the last 20 years. Uh, the Matrix came out that year, which really rattled everybody's skulls for, for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the war uh, satirical war film Three Kings, which is mm-hmm. widely accepted and respected. Uh, there was Fight Club, which... Uh, Controversial at the time, not hugely successful, but yeah, has gone on to be kind of a marker, like a turning point in a lot of like comments on masculinity. Uh, the mind-blowing independent film Being John Malkovich. <laughs> that was a nice, weird one. Yep. Uh, I like Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. I think I it's brilliant. Of, yeah, a lot of people aren't so fond of that movie. I, I think, I, I don't get it. I think that movie's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can appreciate that. Uh, Brad Bird's The Iron Giant mm-hmm. is considered a modern uh, animated classic. A couple of horror movies came out around the same month, basically. Uh, the Blair Witch Project, <laughs> which helped change the industry in a lot of ways. The Sixth Sense, a horror movie that ended up being nominated for six Academy Awards. How fitting. 
uh, uh, when there's there's but, more. Run Lola Run was that year. Yeah. Uh, South Park Bigger Longer and Uncut was that, that year. That's a hilarious movie. Um, uh, a ton of brilliant motion pictures all came out in one year, and like kind of smack dab in the middle, we got in late. Uh, it was a late August release. Yeah. Mickey Blue Eyes. Mickey Blue Eyes. A uh, film about Hugh Grant being charmingly befuddled and having to deal uh, with the Italian mafia in order to marry the woman he loves. Now, uh, here on Average Fest, we're going to be talking about cliché a lot. So yes. what are the clichés we got? Well, first of all, we have Hugh Grant's personality. That's, that, that's sort of the selling point. <laughs> Hugh Grant he, he, had a he, thing, and he did it well, and he did it a lot. He, he did it a lot. He really broke out in America in 1994 with Four Weddings and a Funeral, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Still and, a good uh, movie. And, yeah, for the the intervening five... And uh, Notting Hill was also 1999, yeah. like, later on that for year. For about ten years, Hugh Grant mm-hmm. was a reliable romantic comedy lead, mm-hmm. and he almost always played the same character. This, yeah, the this, this sort of befuddled Brit who had to maintain his... Uh, stuffy british exterior mm-hmm. when faced with extraordinary circumstances mm-hmm. um in this case he he plays the hugh grant role uh what are the other cliches he deals with italian mobsters now these are not real italian mobsters no, these are movie, these are movie mobsters. these are the same italian mobsters you'll see in analyze this which also came out in 1999 <laughs> and a better movie i would say and a better movie oh. uh, uh that's not average yeah. <laughs> it's, it's better than <laughs> it's average a little, little above average but yeah he finds out that his fiance the woman he wants to be his fiance mm. uh played by the great gene Triplehorn, uh whose <laughs> film career never quite got as big as it showed but did find a lot of success on tv with shows like big love mm. um Turns out, she didn't tell him this, but her father is a mafioso, played by James Caan, who was, of course, in The Godfather. Um, And all of the mafiosos, her whole crime family is her actual family. Um, they are movie mafiosos. Yeah. These aren't plausible mafiosos. The, the, main... this isn't the Sopranos. These yeah. are broad uh, uh, parodies of characters we saw in those movies. You know how Marlon Brando talked kind of weird in The Godfather? Yeah. Well, it turns out that the main Godfather type guy in this uh, in this movie is also... even less comprehensible. Yeah. That's the joke. Uh, well, and that's a joke that had been done before. That's a joke they did on Animaniacs, for goodness Silence sake. Silence of the Hams, for God's oh, yeah. sake. Like, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> busy, 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 busy. Yeah, Anytime Dom DeLuise played a played a gangster, that's what he was doing. Um, So I got got these cotton balls in my mouth. (laughs) So what this this thing is doing is it's being a very conventional Mm. uh, uh, romantic comedy. Boy and girl, they like each other. They want to get married. Wild circumstance, yada yada yada. They get married. Great. But you got to find that one thing. Now you can't literally just make the same movie over and over again when you do a genre film. You want to do a slasher film? Well, you can't literally do Friday the Thirteenth every time. You have to do okay, but this time Jason goes to Manhattan, or this time Jason goes to space. There's got to be a spin, and we're using a lot of screenwriting terms because uh, one of the the defining features of an average fest film is that. When you're watching it, you're you're getting char- you're charmed by the actors. You're following the mm-hmm. story, but what you're really seeing is a pitch session. You're you're hearing the voice of the producers and the screenwriters in the ho- in that Hollywood office or somebody's living room in Malibu, <laughs> giving the ideas for this. So it's a gangster movie with Hugh Grant, and Hugh Grant at one point in this gangster movie will have to impersonate a gangster. And isn't it funny that this stuffy British man who has no knowledge or experience of the rough world of Italian gangsters has to pretend to be a gangster? That's the joke. The selling that's, point for that's this the, movie. That's the center of the movie. The selling point for this movie was <clears throat> Hugh Grant's going to pretend to be a gangster. He's mm. going to play Kansas City, Little Big Mickey Blue Eyes. Yes. Uh, and 
it, it's funny because that really isn't important until like the last third of the film. Um, but the trailer for the movie was mm. mostly consisted of scenes of Hugh Grant being taught how to speak mafia mm. by James Caan. And yeah. the gag was he can't do it because he's just so charmingly British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's a scene. Uh, it, it's a scene. Well, it's the centerpiece of the movie, really. The um, movie exists mm. because of a high concept. Mm. Uh, Hugh Grant meets the mob. Yep, I, I know every scene that's going to happen now. <laughs> every scene is going to be. It's oh, to, he's going to uh, he's going to have trouble disposing of a body. Uh, to, it's going to uh, be funny. <laughs> to, to to give some lip service to the actual story of the film, and this is a very very screen writerly movie, mm-hmm. when that it hits all of the beats that you've pulled out of that screenwriting handbook. Save the cat. Uh, he's a uh, Hugh Grant plays Michael Mickey. Uh, who he's and he works at an auction house and he's a charming guy. He's good at his job, but he's dumped on by his boss. He's dumped on by the teamsters who deliver the paintings. Uh, there's a scene early on where he establishes how cowardly he is by speaking into a tape recorder. Uh, note to self: locate testicles. You know he he realizes yeah. he's kind of a coward, but he's charmed by Jean Triplehorn. He wants to uh, propose to her. There's a funny misunderstanding during the proposal scene, mm-hmm. and you can uh, see right there, like there was a note card that just yeah. said "funny proposal scene." Yeah, you know they yeah. have to get engaged, and it's got to be funny. And so it we're going to have nothing to do yeah, with so, the rest of the movie. So yeah, note note card introduction. He's cowardly. Note card proposal scene has to be funny. So what does he do? He tries to slip a, uh, a fortune into a fortune cookie. Some kind of offensive stereotypes in there, but... Uh, yeah, people like who Chin- own the Chinese. restaurant are doing some really broad mm. uh, portrayals of the people who run this Chinese restaurant. Mm. Um, but yeah, he slips the marriage proposal into a fortune cookie. He hands her the fortune cookie. Takes her a minute before she's even willing to eat the fortune cookie. And then when she opens it, it's a normal fortune. And Hugh Grant goes, oh, no. And then he hears someone from across the the room go, yes, Justin. Yes, I will marry you. And then you cut to the dude. And the dude's like, ah. And and then then we cut back to Hugh Grant. He's like, oh, shoot, it's that table. And then he, like, runs over to the table to get the fortune cookie. And the look on that couple's face is just priceless. Like, she's weeping. He's like he's looking de- like staring daggers into Hugh Grant. Yeah, you realize ruined that my whole relationship in, in the, with yeah, this guy. In this whole gag, see that that's the one little edge of that scene I liked. That in yeah. in order to get to this gag, he had to ruin someone else's life. Yeah, but he impro- so, he proposes to Jean Triplehorn, um, and she says no, and she runs away, and, and he doesn't know why. Note card complication. <laughs> so he tracks down her father. Note card. Meet father. Mm. Father uh, runs an Italian restaurant called. The La Trattoria, which, yes, it's Italian for the The Trattoria. Which they, the screenplay does bother to point out. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> these are the jokes. He goes into the restaurant. It is full with every cliche mm. uh, in the book. Burt Young is even in it. Burt Young played the exact same character in Betsy's Wedding. <laughs> another comedy about the mafia, which is actually really funny. I actually really like that movie. Ooh, do you think it's the same universe? No. Could Betsy meet Mickey Blue Eyes? Well, maybe, actually. No, I think it's the most it. ambitious no... crossover event in cinema history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everyone loved it. Um He's kind of slow on the uptake, and there's all these explanations for why is there a guy standing in the meat freezer? Mm. And James Conn's just like, oh yeah, he's uh, 
Fencing. Inven- his inventory. Inventory, think, yeah. yeah. That's the ticket. And he's like, oh, I accept this blindly because I'm dumb. Mm. And then uh, James Caan finds out that Hugh Grant is the guy who's in love with his daughter. He's very accepting. He goes to see Gene Triplehorn. Triplehorn said, says, no, my, my father's in the mafia, and I didn't want to bring you into that world. I was worried that once we, if we became family, my father would corrupt you and you become just another man in my life who is attached to crime and a liar. Oh. And Hugh Grant says, "No, no, no! I, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't possibly do that." Cue card: the Gilligan cut is my understanding is what it's called. It's when you say, "There is no way you will ever convince me to wear that sweater." Uh, Wearing the sweater, <laughs> so we might as well just I, cut to Hugh Grant heard, pretending to be in the mafia because the next thirty minutes are a foregone conclusion. I, I've heard that uh, referred to as the Agarn is wearing a dress scene from uh, F Troop. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one wearing that dress, and blah, 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 and he's in the dress. Yeah. So uh, he tries to stay out of uh, uh, the mafia, but it turns out that one of the mafia dons has a son who paints paintings, and they decide they're going to ask Hugh Grant to auction off the paintings. And the paintings are like these broadly offensive things, like... like Jesus Je- is wielding a machine gun and shooting a cop, and yeah. Yeah, and it's called Die Piggy Piggy Die Die, like it's like, which mm. is kind of funny on paper, not really that funny when you're mm. watching it. And, surprise, surprise, the painting gets sold. Mm. And what Hugh Grant realizes is that they are using this auction house to launder money. People Mm. are paying the gangsters through the auction house as opposed to doing so uh, forthrightly illegally. (laughs) Which, honestly, that's not a bad idea on how to launder money. It's not a bad scam. Yeah, I, I, legit if heard, scam. If your people were doing that for real, you'd be like, "Oh, that's kind of clever." Yeah, right? Selling paintings at an inflated price, yeah. and if only if you're an art appraiser, would you be able to really spot that? And then uh, at the halfway mark, and at the halfway yeah. mark, that's the turn where <laughs> no card, the turn. Yeah. So we had all the fun and games going back mm-hmm. to save the cat of Hugh Grant trying to stay out of the mafia. Now we need the fun and games of him being involved in the mafia. So you have to do the flip at halfway through a very formulaic movie. It bounces around and does something different. The guy uh, who does these awful paintings, uh, he's mad that Hugh Grant wouldn't sell the painting to someone who actually wanted to buy it for real, not part of the money laundering scam. Mm -hmm. And he goes to Hugh Grant's house, and he pulls out a gun, and there's a scuffle, and Gene Triplehorn kills him, and now Hugh Grant... By accident. By accident, and James Caan and Hugh Grant uh, need to dispose of the body. Mm -hmm. And that's the second half Um, of the movie. And in the the film's like one like one funnier conceit, uh, the joke is that they're burying a body at this like remote location, in New York, by somewhere. the railroad, yeah, tracks. So, somewhere by the railroad tracks in soft dirt. It's like ah, just gonna bury this body. And I, Hugh Grant is in his suit and he's covered in dirt. He's like, this is terrible. I think it's in that scene where he's like, I don't, I, I don't understand this lifestyle. You need to give it up. It's like I wouldn't be doing this if you were a plumber. And there's of, actually a moment of, like, we yeah. see, like, James Conn realizing like, that, like... Oh, crap, this is kind of a bad life I'm living. Like, because yeah. it, it affects people other than me. Mm-hmm. Like, he was thinking it was... You get the impression that he was just in it. And yeah. He didn't care. And he realizes that, and, yeah, it's kind of shit that I brought Hugh Grant into this. This actually and, and, yeah. sucks. And so while they're burying the body, however, they hear a noise. Oh, no. And they, they duck for cover, and then they guns start firing. It's like, yeah. oh, no, we've been caught. And they start firing back, and they say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Joey, is that you? And it turns out there's other gangsters also burying a body at that exact same time just over the hill. That's kind of a funny concern. That's, that's a funny gag. They take they, they, take they compare, something obvious, they compare they do the corpses and they try to do something kind of funny with it. Yeah. Um, but it turns out uh, that the guy they killed, obviously he's a mafioso's son. Uh, James Caan decides to make it look like another mafia family did it, but now that's going to start a gang war. Mm. And so James Caan and... Hugh Grant, now impersonating a fictional gangster called Kansas City Little Big Mickey Blue Eyes, 
Because he had to take on this gangster to gangster persona to look like a gangster in front of these other people. Uh, now they have to solve the murder. Doesn't go very, very well. And uh, eventually, Hugh Grant just gets uh, revealed to the mob as the guy who killed mm-hmm. the mafioso. Even though it's Gene Triple Horn, he's doing it because he loves her. Uh, and now James Caan has been asked to kill Hugh Grant. And he's got to do it at his own daughter's wedding as punishment for them both. Mm. Again, Another, all of this, all of this sounds like a script, right? All of this sounds like a real movie. It, it sounds like a real movie. I, yeah. I it makes logical sense. I'm really frustrated with uh, screenwriting books because I think they're only really if you follow those screenwriting books, like scene for scene. This is the type of script you produce. Yeah, you only make the same movie. You, over you, and you over make again. the same movie over and over again, and you only deal. You can you can only deal with cliches. You 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 have to break out of that to make kind of an interesting movie. And the only way this, this there are a few ways that this tries to break out of that, the the, the selling points. We talked about Hugh Grant's charm. We talked mm-hmm. about sort of the... the a good cl- cast can overcome the, mediocre the, material. Yeah, the, the comedy of the funny gangster, I guess that's sort of an angle. Mm. And uh, a little bit, not much, tiny bit of edge. Uh, in that they actually murder people. Yeah, there's, there's a actually bit of there's there's a little bit of darkness. I mean, the main character. I wish they gone a little bit further with it. I feel like there's a Coen Brothers version of this type of material. Yeah, and, that could have been really funny. Even the same scenes of Hugh Grant hauling a body, or you know, like maybe he lifts a body and he accidentally falls on it and like coughs blood on his face. You know, something kind of gross to well, really like, highlight how disgusting this well, like, really there's, is. Here's here's a, here's a joke. Mm-hmm. James Caan shows up and he says, "Oh, we gotta get rid of a body." Okay, well, mm-hmm. do you have any plastic bags? And Hugh Grant shows up with us with like a sandwich sized Ziploc. Yeah, James was like, "What do you, what do you think we're gonna do with that? I don't, the, the gun? <laughs> I don't know." Like, th- there's a little humor there because again, this is a charming movie that got really dark, mm-hmm. but it never lets itself get dark. It mm-hmm. still stays cute, and that just makes the darkness even weirder in a way because it, it makes, really is there's life and death it, in this. movie. It makes the darkness weirder, but this is what's keeping it average because it stays really, really palatable. There's nothing so dark and so awful that it turns into something just really. Disturbing. Disturbing, mm-hmm. like say, uh, like uh, very bad things, for instance. Oh, that's crazy disturbing. That, yeah, that's a movie that starts out with kind of a light premise and goes really dark, really fast, and just keeps on going down after that. And when you use this template again, I've already brought it up a couple of times. What you really got is the idea for a scene, and then you just kind of drop in personality. There's mm-hmm. a scene just before uh, Gene Triplehorn and Hugh Grant kill the guy, mm-hmm. uh, where we actually <laughs> haven't seen them together in a while, and so the cue card probably said. Seen with Hugh Grant and Gene Triplehorn, and everything seems fine. And then, and, of course, and, it's not. And they and they do so, they have to do something in that scene to reinforce that they have a relationship that yeah. they that they've spent time together before the start of this movie. Yeah, to show that they have personality and that we mm-hmm. like them and that we want them, remind the audience that we want them to be together. We don't want Hugh Grant to join the mafia or right. something. So what do we do? We see that she gets him a gift, and the gift is a is a toy monkey. And the, the monkey says weird British things. It, it says monkey facts with a British accent. She says, I thought this reminded me of you. And she presses and, the thing and it says, I have an opposable thumb. And it's, that sounds like something where a, a screenwriter or a filmmaker was trying to put something kind of strange in there. Trying yeah. to add a little bit of personality. And I, and I appreciate that. Strange, I appreciate that effort. That this this little semi-weird thing is kind of invading this scene. But it's not really weird. It's the kind mm. of weird that gets workshopped. But it's like, we, want it to be, we want it to be a gift, but we can't just be like, flowers, who gives a shit? Uh. We want it to be like, make the scene memorable. So what can we do? And I think we talked about this before, when you were just like, oh yes, it's a jockstrap from Ken Russell's Listomania. <laughs> and you're just like, too weird. Too weird. Scale it back. I was thinking more on the lines of a toy monkey that says monkey facts. 
that's okay. Like that's, that's not common, the, but it's not interesting. So we're good. See, I would have gone with the, with the the Ken Russell cod piece, but you know, my, no one would see my movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. Um, so you got all these things that are just kind of being dropped in, try mm. to make a very conventional narrative very interesting. And then they try to add like little plot threads throughout. Like there's the, the thread with the painter and there's the thread with uh, an old lady who doesn't know what art is really worth, but she wants a painting for her home because she just came into some money. And mm-hmm. these that's little, important that's, later. That's important later. And these things kind of are set up, setups and payoffs the way in a very traditional screenplay way. There's also a thread where, while uh, Hugh Grant is pretending to be Mickey Blue Eyes, tries to put on this ridiculous accent, which he's not doing well, and he enters and goes to a restaurant, and it turns out his boss is there, and he and is in order to sort of hide himself from his boss, uh, he grabs a waitress who is like draping herself yeah, on him. Yeah, she was throwing kind of at him because she thought he was a big time. Thought he was a big time mafia, and was kind of like you know flirting with him and kind of making kissy face. He like takes her, leans her down, and kisses her, and. Just in, to sort, and that's sort of an embarrassing moment that he has to do this this mm-hmm. thing all of but a sudden. But if his boss had said something, both he and James Conn would have been mm. killed. So yeah. he had to do something. Uh, in that moment, another character uh, happened to be happened in the to be happened to be by across the restaurant. She's not interacting with any of the characters, but she has a camera and takes a picture of him in that moment. And of course, Dean Triplehorn sees that sees that picture and realizes not only is he a liar, but he's also kissing other women, and that's not cool. No, it's not particularly cool. Hmm. It's such an interesting movie. I know. Look, <laughs> this film was directed by a, a, a director named Kelly Macon, a Canadian director who had previously done Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Now, if you haven't seen Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, that is a weird movie. Yeah, this is a director who has some personality. And not only is that a weird movie because it comes from this like group of very strange Canadian comedians, uh, it's also very uh, vignette based. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of really strange characters, a lot of really great, funny uh, moments. It also looks really weird. It's really heightened, and it also has a very cynical, very dark message at the end of it. You know about how. In, it's about a very powerful antidepressant that the entire world gets hooked on, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everybody's wandering around in this antidepressant haze, yeah, and nothing you, feels genuine anymore. Yeah, everyone's all euphoric all the time. Yeah, it's, and, and it's, that it's a melancholy mu- and, movie. And, and the message is that much happiness is bad for the world. <laughs> like everyone will just fall into a happiness coma. Everyone will be pleased, and the world will essentially end. That joy yeah. is apocalyptic. That's a really daring message. Yeah. And, and then he and makes Mickey and then blue he, eyes. And then he turns around and makes Mickey blue eyes. And I can see him st- occasionally, very occasionally, straining against the material, mm. trying to make the violence more violent, well, trying to make the darkness darker. Well, even just like trying to like tell the story in in a good way. So, mm. for example, when James Conn tells Hugh Grant, "I've been asked to kill you. Mm. I got to kill you. That's what's going to happen." And Hugh Grant is just like. I understand. And then it cuts to Hugh Grant standing in front of a nondescript wall, like uh-huh. in an alleyway or like <laughs> in a warehouse. And then he just asks James Conn, I know this might be a stupid question, but to the best of your knowledge, is this going to hurt? Uh-huh. And James Conn says, no, no, it's not going to hurt. No, he says, I don't know. He I don't says, know if this is going to hurt. Okay. And uh, Hugh Grant says, oh, okay. And then bam, bam, and blood spills. Splatters out of Hugh Grant, and then Hugh Grant just looks down at his chest and goes, "That hurt a lot, actually. Is that supposed to hurt?" And then he walks off, and there's a bunch of federal agents there. And they're going to fake Hugh Grant's death, and that's a that's a, that's a well done reveal. Actually, it's a funny it's a funnier moment 
because they held off on that. Yeah, one, one of the two main feds is played by Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Yeah, and he's obviously trying to do everything he can with his small role to make mm. it as funny as possible. He, he uh, His character has to go undercover twice. So he gets to, A, practice a British accent, which he does very poorly. Yeah. Please, Mumsy, I want some more chowder. Yeah. Whatever he says. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, he also gets to play a gay florist and gets to pull out his... Uh, his Buddy Cole Buddy routine. Buddy Cole routine. Yeah, which, which is... is really sort of super mincy gay character from Kids in the Hall. Which he can get away with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the other... So they have to go through with the wedding. They're not telling Gene Triplehorn the whole plan because the response has to be genuine, mm. which is just like, oh, what a web of lies. <laughs> the wedding, of course, a lot of things go wrong. One of the things that is actually the other funny thing in the movie for me is Hugh Grant like meets someone sort of randomly and just his natural gesture accidentally sets off his squibs. So yeah, and he spray, <laughs> sprays this guy in the face with blood and he looks down, he's got this open bullet wound in his chest now and... Oh dear, excuse me a moment. <laughs> Which is actually pretty damn funny. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. But as soon as it happens, you realize that's playing fair, that was totally set up. Mm. That's a funny joke. Uh, and then it all goes haywire. Mm. Uh, uh, they, they, Hugh Grant, like, James Conn shoots, but Hugh Grant hits the squibs late. <laughs> just sort of standing there on screen, and then it's just like, Squib. Squib. Ah, my chest. Squib. Ah, my chest. And then everything goes even worse, and Gene Triplehorn gets shot and dies. And everyone's like, no! But at least they got Burt Young, so they're all going to be able to go into witness protection. And they're all in the ambulance, and James Conn and Hugh Grant are crying. And then Gene Triplehorn says, ha ha, I fooled you. Well, of course, and... Again, we don't think she's gonna die. Like, had, are we insane? The problem is, it's a surprise to see her get shot. But the second she is, you realize what's happening. The, the tone has been so light throughout that we can't buy that death when it happens. Yeah, so it's momentarily surprising, it had, and then immediately you realize it's not real. Had the movie been a little bit darker, as you can tell, some of the the filmmakers are trying to push it. Then that death would have meant something. It's like, oh, geez, and everybody's going to start dying now. Just death is everywhere in this world. And this is actually kind of tragic, however funny it might be. But yeah, because it was so light and bland and even, the death is meaningless because we know it's not real. So yeah, she gets shot and you realize, oh, well, she's in on it. And then, it's not even a shocking moment. It's just, it's not. oh, and that's, she, that's the plot. And then she gets up and she's like, ha-ha, you can play at that game. I was also fooling you because I didn't trust you. Mm. So I made a deal with the feds from behind your back for a backup plan. And we had to make sure your reaction was genuine. Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Mm. And then she runs out of the ambulance, like, only like a couple of blocks and where she just faked her death in a very close-knit community. So, <laughs> so that's someone, stupid. Someone would have seen her. So she's running down the street, you know, kind of nondescript in a big white wedding dress with a lot of blood on her chest. <laughs> and Hugh Grant's running after her also with blood on his chest. And of course, they're in the middle of a marathon. Why? Because color, we had to slap color, some personality yeah. on this scene of two people you know, admitting their love for each other while they're in Central Park covered in blood. Uh-huh. You already were there. You're good. Mm. And of course, just so we can wrap up that last tiny plot thread with the picture, which you didn't need. And and, and she says, "And here's the, you lied to me. Here's a picture of you kissing another woman." He's like, "No, no, it's just a big misunderstanding." And she says, "Okay, you big galoot, come here and kiss me." It's so weird that we needed. That. I understand that like you need another scene mm. after. Like an epilogue. You need an epilogue. You need, she, 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 the lie revealed, whatever. Mm-hmm. They love each other. They're going to have a family. It's fine. You need an epilogue. But the epilogue should have been like them in witness protection. 
Yeah, I think. Yeah. And then it's like it's them. They're happy. You know, he's maybe got an art store in like a small town in mm. Connecticut or something somewhere. And she's I don't remember what she did for a living, but she's doing that. She too. was a teacher. She was a teacher. She's yeah. a teacher somewhere else. That's fine. And then James Con owns a the the Subway or some other restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Like that could have been kind of funny. And instead, no, no, we're doing the marathon thing. Mm. Why? <laughs> Look, if if you are an aspiring Hollywood screenwriter and it's your dream to write screenplays for money in the Hollywood machine, mm-hmm. this is the type of movie you want to study. Absolutely. Because when I was in school, we studied while you were sleeping. Yeah, there you go. This is another one. Just the formula is right there. The formula is right there. And that that's kind of what you're getting. You're getting just off-brand Sprite. It's mm-hmm. lemon-lime. There's no edge. There's no sugar. It's, the recipe it's is good right. For, the recipe is right. It's not good for you, but it's sweet, and it'll go down smooth, and yep. that's what you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's refreshing for a minute until you get thirsty again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how, how average is this? Like, is it right in the middle, or does it have too much personality? I don't think it has too much personality. I think it has just enough personality mm. to make it more average. Okay. Because if it was no personality at all, like nothing, mm-hmm. if it's just Hugh Grant meets Gene Triplehorn and then they fall apart because she thinks she sees him with another girl and then they get back together again, that's nothing. That's sub-average because it's <laughs> okay. so straightforward. Uh-huh. This has just enough of a hook that it gets made, uh-huh. but then it doesn't do particularly well. Uh-huh. Like everyone's fine in it. Like, like Hugh Grant is fine. He has his yeah. job. Well, here- James Conn is kind of funny. He does his job. Gene Triplehorn is wildly underused and is a shame because she's super talented. As, as she was in most of her roles. Indeed. She was good in that movie Till There Was You, which we might get to at some point. But. <laughs> That's the, the, clip, the premise of that movie is too clever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Till There Was You is this movie with her and Dylan McDermott. Yeah. And the idea is that they are perfect for each other and we know it right from the first scene, but they never meet. But every scene is about them hovering around each other. Mm. Like they're both at the same restaurant have, breaking up with their respective others, but they don't meet. Yeah. Or like their, their jobs bring them into the I, same I building. But they it's never meet. Sort of a send up of the when Harry, Harry met Sally sort yeah, of thing. It, it's, it's, it's a funny idea. It's not a very good movie, but the idea is solid. Mm-hmm. I think they did it again in Serendipity, which had a very oh, similar yeah, was, uh, yeah, yeah. premise. They kept seeing things that reminded them of each other, even though they like, weren't meeting. Never yeah, quite yeah. came together. Yeah, same same basic idea. But yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the talented cast, you have a capable director, but yeah, it boils down to this is the kind of screenplay they teach you about, but I don't always think they teach you to be better than. Mm-hmm. Because you can teach a formula. Yeah. It's easy to teach a formula. It's harder to teach inspiration. <laughs> and which is why when you read a screenwriting book, like Works of Sid Field, or, mm. or I, I think Save the Cat's an odd example because I don't think he was trying to give you a formula. He, I think he was he trying to teach you theory. He wasn't trying to give a formula. You read the book and it's actually kind of helpful. The problem is it became such a relied upon tome mm-hmm. that everybody started writing really similar screenplays based on what was yeah. said in that. Save the Cat by the late Blake Snyder. And mm. Blake Snyder is, you know, not an acclaimed screenwriter. He wrote the movie Blank Check, <laughs> which is another thing we could do on Average Fest yeah. very easily. But it's a, it's a book about how every movie, or almost every movie, you get the really experimental stuff. Mm. You're going to get weird. But pretty much every narrative film is kind of the same. They, like they, yeah. they hit the same basic bullet points. You introduce the characters, you establish the theme, mm. you establish the plot. People debate the plot. People go into the plot. The plot stuff happens. There's some sort of twist in order to keep your attention. Things get really bad. 
things get really good, mm. and then it ends. Mm. Every movie basically fits that. <laughs> That's all his book is about. It's but, basically but he goes, different he, genres do that. He goes into a lot more details. Like, there's, like, I think 17, I forgot the actual number. Yeah. But there's, like, a, a certain, like, number of definite bullet points that happen in a very specific order throughout most narrative commercial yeah. feature films. As a way of thinking about, the idea was you can think about an entire story with a lot of different moving parts in a much more simplistic way. Mm-hmm. Like you can keep the whole movie in your head very easily which, by which only remembering should... these key points. Mm-hmm. That actually is a very useful writing tool. But when you use those points as well, we have to hit those points, mm-hmm. then it becomes a very restrictive writing tool because... Mm-hmm. And you, movies you, begin to start feeling all the same. You will find all those bullet points rather naturally. Mm-hmm. Save the Cat is a great way to talk about movies. Mm. But when you're using it as a blueprint, it's incredibly restrictive, and this is the kind of shit you get. Something that is totally competent, makes sense, I can see why it got made, Mm. I can also see why it really didn't make a lot of money. (laughs) Mickey Blue Eyes made about $54 million, which is pretty respectable for a romantic comedy. Especially in 99, yeah. It cost $75 million. It it, it went to talent, it went to James Conn. And uh, and, and Hugh Grant, who was a big star. After Notting Hill, he was doing Um, good, but... yeah, it's ridiculous because this is like you could do this for five million dollars easily. Yeah, yeah. Ed Burns um, could have done this on a on a shoestring. Budget. So, so it was a, it was a vehicle. It was a star vehicle for yeah. for Hugh Grant and James Caan. I'm glad they got an actor like James Caan. You know, he was like maybe fifth on their list. They probably started with De Niro and mm-hmm. Pacino and other. Brando was still alive. Brand, yeah, probably asked Brando. They they made their way down to James Caan, who is at least in The Godfather. Yeah, um, and he's funny. He's funny. He's also the only character that has an arc in the movie. If you've noticed. <laughs> A meaningful Jean, one. Jean, yeah. Jean Triplehorn is proved right. Everything she suspected was true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugh Grant doesn't necessarily become braver or better through over the course he of the film. He comes back to zero. He makes mistakes and he comes back right yeah. to where he was when he began. James Conn is the one who realizes that his entire gangster lifestyle is hurting the people around him and really does need to make some sort of major change. He's the one who goes through the major change. So really, he should be the protagonist. He should be the main character. It, it would have been a more interesting movie. It would have yeah. been a little bit more soulful. It would have been a little bit more character driven rather than a contrivance oriented it's a good point um but you know because we have to appeal to as many people as possible the contrivance is is all so yeah mickey blue eyes had some bits Mm. where it was like kind of propping itself up above its own averageness but yeah for the most part right right up the middle the really good version of this movie if you ever want to see it Mm. the freshman (laughs) <laughs> there you go. With uh, uh, Matthew Broderick plays Mar- a... Martin Brest did that one, right? Uh, I want to say it was Martin Brest. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Broderick plays a college student who moves to New York, immediately gets uh, grifted by Bruno Kirby, mm-hmm. and he ends up uh, making ends meet mm-hmm. by working for Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando is playing... The guy they based The Godfather on. And that's the plot point. The idea is that everything The Godfather, the voice, the look, Uh the way his office is laid out, everything. Francis Ford Coppola based the character Uh on this real guy. Excuse me. It was directed by a guy named Andrew Bergman. I apologize. Um, It feels like a Martin Brest movie, though. It totally has that tone. Um, and it's a really funny movie about that sort of intersection between mm-hmm. movies and reality. And then on top of that, it has a lot of personality. There's a lot of weird stuff in it. Like, I love, there's this whole segment where he gets, his job mm-hmm. is taking care of a Komodo dragon. 
<laughs> which gets lost in a ball. <laughs> he has gets to track it down. It's funny. The, the fate of the Komodo dragon is also very strange. It's very unexpected. <laughs> I would never ruin it for you, yeah. but it's that movie is the really, really, really good mm. version of this. I would also recommend Betsy's Wedding, which is about Alan Alda, his daughter, Molly Ringwald. Mm. Uh, she's getting married, and in order to pay for this hugely expensive wedding, he ends up falling in with the mafia because his brother-in-law, Joe Pesci, mm. is trying to impress them, and it just completely careens out of control. Uh, there's a really, really great subplot where uh, Mal- uh, Ali Sheedy plays a cop who is wooed by the son of a mafioso played by Anthony LaPaglia. <laughs> and he is the quintessential movie cliche monster, and they are adorable mm. together, and they could have held their own movie. Uh, I-, I wanted to ask you this. Your name is Bibiani. Yeah. You're Italian. Yeah. What, what do you think of these broad Italian stereotypes that Hollywood keeps going back well, to? Well, it's, it's weird. And I'm not really in a position to, to really say, mm-hmm. you know, what's, is it offensive or, or is it not? Because that's something everyone has the right to yeah. say for themselves. And even though my last name is Italian, it's really my father's side of the family that's Italian. My mother's mm-hmm. side is not. I was not raised in this uh, particular community that we see in a lot of these movies, this sort of New York, yeah. very intensely Italian community. Um, so how it affects me is going to be different than how it affects someone uh, yeah. uh, from there. Um, I think a lot of these movies get away with it by saying, uh, you know, they're kind of making fun of the movies yeah. that are doing this. So it becomes a sort of uh, kind of punching upwards kind mm. of thing. Like, we're really just making fun of The Godfather. We're not really. Yeah. yeah. If that's the case. Um, it's, certainly but the, like, it's certainly the case with Mickey Blue Eyes. I think so. We're, we're, I think we're, not, we're not dealing with real renditions of real New Yorkers or real gangsters. We're feels, doing this. It's even cur- a fake New York. Like, it yeah, feels it's, really it's, fake. It's this really heightened version of these uh, Italian characters that come from other movies. That said, it is a film that relies heavily mm. on cultural stereotypes. So you, you look at the scene in the Chinese restaurant is, is another one. Yeah. And I think it's entirely reasonable to look at that and go, this is defensive and cheap and dumb. Mm. And I think that's totally, totally fair. And that's if that's the reason why if we continue Average Fest... We probably be able to find a more average film than this, okay? Uh, because in some respects, because the movie has a few clever bits, and in some respects, uh, because the movie relies on some shitty things that are only going to age worse and worse as time goes on. Yeah, I think. yeah. yeah. Um, but again, your mileage will vary. Mm. When I brought up Mickey Blue Eyes as our average fest example, pretty much everyone has gone like, "Yeah, that's pretty average." Yeah. So, why? <laughs> oh, yeah, average. Yeah, okay, like yeah, that's, that's the one. A bunch of stereotypes, and that's that's lame. And yeah. other than that, it's some, pretty some... pretty average. <laughs> it's pretty average. Yeah. Um, so that's Average Fest. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, if you like Average Fest and you want us to talk more about mediocrity, <laughs> you're interesting, but we thought we'd try it like, out. Like Who I knows? said, th- Maybe this, it'll work. this is the soul of Hollywood. We have to keep on examining. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you like it, don't forget, you can join our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Cancelled too soon. Cancelled with one L. Uh, there will be a poll up at the end of the month with all of our uh, pilot episodes. And you're going to pick one of them that will go to series and that will become a perk on the Patreon uh, uh, mm. tier. Uh, next week, in addition to our uh, episode about the Francis Ford Coppola, William Shatner, super-powered Amish people pilot, The People, <laughs> we're going to have a pilot for our show we're calling The Randomizer. I think that's the the title we settled on. We, we yeah. reserve the right to change that later if we think it's something better. But right now it's the Cancel Too Soon Randomizer, in which we're going to review a, an episode of a television series. A long-running television series. That neither of us are familiar with, so that we're, so no one's mm. going to be educating each other. Mm. And we're going to pick an episode right in the middle, and we're going to try to figure out what the heck is going on from the respective people who have no fucking idea. Yeah, so we... we also a bit of an experiment. We don't know where the characters have come from, we don't mm. know where they're going, and we are deliberately going to do no research. Yep. 
like we might know a little going in just from cultural osmosis, mm-hmm. but the goal is to know nothing mm-hmm. if possible. Uh, we've narrowed it down to a couple of options. We haven't decided <laughs> yet, but we're really just going to pick a show neither of us are familiar with, mm-hmm. and then we're just going to roll some dice. And it's like th- episode 306, apparently. Okay, oh. done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should be interesting to see how that turns out. That's either going to be really fun and funny or just awful probably and, probably frustrating to fans of the show that's yeah. uh, hopefully you'll appreciate it um <laughs> it'll be an odd experiment regardless and uh, maybe you'll like it who knows maybe it ends up going to series uh, you'll be able to find out so thank you everybody for listening uh don't forget you can see us on twitter at cancelcast. i'm at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold we also have our other podcast critically acclaimed where we review uh new movies and one classic movie and one notoriously bad movie every single week mm-hmm. uh, that's over the schmoes no itunes feed um, I think that's uh, uh, about it. So um, thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next season. Mm-hmm.